Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast, stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Any self-respecting millennial would never find him or herself too far from a crisp, cold, sparkling water. And be it plain, over ice, mixed with some spirits, or maybe flavored with some grapefruit, huh? Yeah? The popularity has only continued to rise. And, well, we're a lucky bunch here in Atlanta because you can keep the commercial brand names to yourself and hand me a Montaigne any day. This Georgia-born brand stems from the Callaway family, as in Callaway Gardens outside of Columbus, anyone? Uh Uh-huh. And Hollis, a fourth-generation Callaway, has brought new light to the family's famed spring water from Blue Springs. And we caught up at their field office in Grant Park, where he gave me the rundown on how Montaigne got started. Here's Hollis. One, two, three. I don't think that there's been a more exciting open to an episode of the show. Cheers. Cheers to you. Hollis Calloway, welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. Thank you for having me, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm great. It's, you know, like 35 degrees outside and drinking a nice, ice cold, crisp, montane, grapefruit, peach, sparkling water. It's a lot of syllables, but that's pretty accurate. Perfect day. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I just, I love that though. Like there's, there's something very satisfying about opening a can, like just that sound. Cause it's almost like it's, it's such a, it's such a loud and distinctive sound. Like I almost always look around and I love it. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things is being in the movie theater and hearing that. And you're like, dude, someone snuck in like a soda into the movie theater. <laughs> my understanding is that it's tuned to produce that that sound that's very satisfying. Are you serious? Yes. Oh my gosh, how does that happen? Is it the pressure or? The, the packaging science behind it, I have no idea, but it's it's not by accident. That sounds like a trick that Disney would try and pull over you. Like, yeah, this is tuned to like the certain decibel level that your ear likes to, you know, pull out your wallet and make a purchase or something like that, but. I think for <laughs> some of us sparkling addicts, it's it's kind of a Pavlovian, you know, it's. It, you know it's coming when you when you hear yeah. the crack. It's yeah. Yeah, uh, I think it was probably earlier this year. I had had Montaigne, but I believe it was only the original. Mm-hmm. And earlier this summer, uh, Kevin Oots from the Spotted Trotter, uh, he and Megan, good friends of mine, um, I'm over at their house, and uh, he hands me one of these, the, <laughs> the grapefruit peach, and he's like, "We can't stop drinking this." Like he's like, "I carry it in the shop now," but um, and ever since then, this was like the gateway, and I think I've now you know now I'm a part of the Pavlovian experience of cracking open a can of Montaigne where, and then when it's empty, I'm like, I have a problem because I don't have another one in front of me and I just want to keep drinking it. So, um, but I mean, I'm really excited to dive into your story. Um, it's, it's really cool. I, I, I feel like I have a really cool connection to, um, a lot that's associated with your last name. A lot, a lot of my life has been like spent around Callaway gardens and, um, I'm, I'm really excited to learn more of, you know, this, like what your family has done, um, and you're fourth generation, right? Yes. Wow. So I'm really excited to, to learn, you know, just a lot more about like your history and then, you know, obviously getting more into, um, you know, everyone's favorite beverage, you know, being Montaigne sparkling water. But, um, but before we get into all that, you get the inescapable first question that every single one of my guests receives on the show. And that is, I want to know who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? Well, it's it's not one answer. It was a combination of 
my mother and, and my grandmothers and, and everything from Southern food to, to contemporary family meals, lasagna. <laughs> Who doesn't love lasagna? Crazy people. Right. I know. If you don't, I mean, like, it's just really unfortunate. Yeah. Maybe they just need really good lasagna. So what kind of eater were you? Uh, well, I was the youngest of three boys, and we all had bottomless stomachs. So <laughs> it, it often was a, a competition. It, it, you had to eat fast and, and compete. Uh, I can't not remember having leftovers from a meal. It, it, everything got eaten when, when we were <laughs> sat down for dinner. And you're, you said you're the youngest. Mm-hmm. Wow. How, how, what's like the age between you guys? Uh, ab- about two years and another two years. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like straight up competition bracketing right there. You know, it's like, you got to fight your way. So like bigger fork or just eat faster. Yes. <laughs> that's when, be your strategy. When we'd get pizza, we'd, we'd lick the slices that we were claiming so that, <laughs> so that the, they wouldn't get taken out from underneath us. It's such a sibling tactic. I love that. I think my brother and I did that too. We would do that like with a, like with a can of Coke or something like that. And it, my brother would do the, you know, the typical older brother thing of like my half was on the bottom. And I was like, how can, how does that, I'm like looking at my parents, like, how is this allowed? How is this, how, how can you make, <laughs> how can you let this happen to me? Uh, but I love that. That is, that is like a, man, you don't see that anymore. You only see that in like old movies. Like where someone licks something and then that means that it's theirs. Nobody, nobody's adopting that anymore. I, I, I think uh, if you've been watching the David Attenborough nature documentaries, <laughs> I, I see some of that in, in the wild. <laughs> and uh, maybe that's where we learned it from. So, but uh, that's cool that you have some siblings and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can relate. I don't have two, but I have one. So I know where that's really coming from. But uh, so, I mean, where, where was home for you? Where were you growing up? I grew up just north of Columbus, Georgia, mm-hmm. and it's near the spring where my family's been for 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 quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's um that's something that I really wanted to hear a little bit more about. So I know that we mentioned, or I mentioned this like right before we started recording, and um, I I grew up going to Callaway Gardens. Uh, you know, we would have our family reunions um, for my dad's side of the family just outside of Columbus. I mean, it was in, it was in the woods, man. It was awesome. I mean, it was, uh, they, they had quite a bit of property, lived on several acres, like a lot of like their, their, their house was in like the middle and like you had to go up this long driveway that I think was gravel. And then there was just pine trees everywhere and oak trees everywhere. And, uh, their, their property was in like the, in kind of in the middle of it. And then we would just ride four wheelers just, I mean, in and around the property and like you I, I, we didn't do that in Orlando. Like there was nowhere there that you did that where I grew up, you know? And, uh, it was just, it, it was so removed from everything. I think it was like a 45 minute drive to actually get into like any civilized part of civilized, uh, industrial part of Columbus. So it was like in the sticks, but like we, we grew up, you know, going there every single summer and it was all of my dad's family and all of us and Callaway gardens. Like they were either going there to play golf or we were going there to go to like, the butterfly garden or, uh, just, you know, traipsing around the, the grounds. And so it was cool. I feel like I, I, I have like a dotted line somewhere in my story to the Callaway name. So anyway, that's a long winded way of saying like, I like your, what your family does, Hollis. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And it's a, it, it's a great story. And, and the more I spend time in Georgia and Atlanta, uh, you know, Atlanta claims to have 5 million people, I don't believe it. I think in this city, everybody is is connected, and and it's tough to 
to even go out without running into people you know or meet somebody new and there's not a not some connection there so Mm -hmm. uh, Atlanta's a small city for me yeah no I'm with you I mean I, I feel like I run into a lot of people that I know whenever I'm out and about and Maybe it's because I go to a lot of the same businesses over and over again, but um, yeah, I, d I do tend to to see a lot of people that I know. But um, but tell me a little bit about like the the Callaway family name and like line of businesses and like the the I mean, just a lot of the things that you guys have touched like over several generations. I mean, again, like with yourself being the fourth, like give me an idea of like the rundown of like what what's all like kind of like under the Callaway umbrella for those who don't know. Um, yeah, where to start? <laughs> so at the beginning part of the 20th century, the, um, four generations ago, we, uh, barefoot, barefoot Baptist preachers and my, and Fuller Calloway was the, the first one to, to be an entrepreneur and have a lot of success. He, he began, uh, walking around selling thread door to door. Then wow. he ultimately opened a department store. And he was selling a lot of textiles. And then he said, hey, I want to make the things I'm selling. So he went into the textile business and was very successful in that. Um, fast forward to the next generation. Uh, they came across the spring, uh, fell in love with it, and bought the spring, bought the land around it, and retired from business and wanted to share it with the rest of the world, share it with the people around them. And that's how the gardens got started. Hmm. Wow. So was it always, I mean, when, when was this? Like when was like the, when did like Callaway Gardens kind of start to form? They, they first visited the Springs in 1928 and the gardens opened in the early fifties. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So the spring is actually on the grounds of, of where Callaway Gardens is? No, they're, they, uh, they aren't. They're they're near each other. They they were at one time, um, mm -hmm. but the Springs is now a, a, a separate nonprofit, and the the, uh, the sorry the Gardens is a separate nonprofit, and the Springs is, is nearby. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so what what all is like kind of under like the name of Callaway? I mean, I know that there's like Callaway Gardens, and now like I mean, Montaigne is like a part of that. And what other types of like businesses are actually under Callaway? It. it Mainly the, the bottled water and, and Montaigne right now. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Man, that's really cool. Um, and I want to I wanna chat a little bit more. I mean, I remember when I was first reading your story about Montaigne, um, I, mean, I, f I remember seeing like the, the Callaway, uh, the Callaway, you know, emblem or logo <laughs> on the can that I was drinking. And I was like, you know, I wonder is, is I, I didn't know if it was a part of like the, the brand of, you know, golf apparel and you know equipment and everything or if it was like Callaway Gardens like you know I'm in Atlanta so who knows I remember looking up the story and then I started reading about the spring which is really interesting so tell me a little bit more of the detail about the actual spring like what makes it like I mean it's really unique it is it, and growing up with it I never really appreciated it and once I got older and and wasn't spending as much time there and would go back to visit it, it kind of jumped out at me that that this is one of the more special places in the state or, or country and it it's got very unique geology most springs in the world flow through sedimentary rock like limestone or dolomite they're created through erosion over time and they have a high mineral content as a result of that and blue springs is is very different it's 
flows through flows through quartzite rock, which is made from silicon dioxide, never erodes, never breaks down in water. It was made through a one-time geological event, and it doesn't impart much mineral content in the water, and it's extremely pure. It's some of the purest water in the world is right here in the state of Georgia. Yeah, it's amazing. And I, that, that's what was really interesting to me. I mean, I, uh, I remember reading about this and um, I mean, it was pretty fascinating. I mean, growing up in, in Orlando, you know, I mean, there's, um, there's, there's any number of natural springs to kind of, you know, pick and choose from, so, so to speak. And um, a lot of them, I mean, they're, they're swimming holes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as most people would associate them with, and like it's just water coming out of the ground, and I mean, people are swimming in it, but you know, if if no one was, I mean, it's clean enough to drink. It's actually really good drinking water. And I remember one of the springs that we would go to, you could actually follow the trail all the way to the source, and the water coming out of it was so cold. I mean, it was. I mean, it's not like anywhere near freezing, but especially in Florida, you know, the summer heat like the the temperature of that water was so like uncomfortably cool coming out of the ground you know i mean really cold to swim in like even in the summertime it was actually really cold so yeah same thing though with with blue springs yes it's it's 64 degrees wow. 365 days a year and that doesn't sound very cold but when you jump in it in the summer it 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 is. It's quite a shock. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, 64 degrees compared to your body temperature, like, you know, hopefully, you know, 98.6, um, unless you're a super cold hearted person. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'd imagine like it's going to be a pretty, pretty huge shock to your system. If you've never actually swam in water that cold, like it's, um, yeah, it's nuts. It's yeah. Makes you feel alive. Yeah, indeed. So, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, how, how like, I guess just like, give me like kind of the brief history that just like the timeline, like, I mean, you guys have this, you know, property, your family, you know, the Springs is on this property. Like where did the idea or where did like kind of the, the concept of Montane sparkling water kind of come into your life? Yes. The, the, the beginning I was working in a, in a cubicle environment and looking at the guys around me, not wanting to spend the rest of my life there. It's, so I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. At the same time, we have this great resource. And I was drinking a lot of sparkling water. And one day, I, I looked at the can in my hand and said, hey, I think I can, I can do this better. And the other part of the story is, is my grandfather began bottling the water that flows from the spring. It's sold as Callaway Blue, just mm-hmm. conventional Which bottled water. we're looking at right now. I mean, there's, there's a few stacks of it here in your in your field office. So, um, it's really cool. It's really cool to see that there's already like, you know, Callaway's name, like on bottled water. So what's like, I mean, I guess like, yeah, kind of derailing from your current story. What's kind of like the story behind Callaway blue. It, um, my grandfather wanted to, to use this great water we have. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was a serial entrepreneur and this was a later in life endeavor. Mm -hmm. And there, there were times when they were, not sure they were going to make it to the next year, but uh, they persevered and, and have had a lot of success. Mm-hmm. So it's the same water coming from the same spring. Yes. So gotcha. That's really cool. Um, so going back to, I guess, how Montaigne got started. So you're working in a cubicle. You 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 want to do something a little bit entrepreneurial, and um, so you dig sparkling water. So what what happens next? Well, I I began looking into how to make it happen. You know, I, 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 uh, 
began studying packaging, the, the market. I had no background in beverages. Uh, the, the family business helped a lot, but I also wanted to do my own thing and have it be a distinct company and brand. So for me, it was, it was beginning from scratch. Gotcha. Where's the name come from? Montaigne is a, a descriptor for one of the habitats near the spring. It, it just means mountainous. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I wonder how many people are like spinning whatever story in their mind. I, I usually go that route of, I want to know like the origin. Like I, uh, and <laughs> sometimes it like really comes back to bite me. Um, like where it just has a very humble beginning, you know, and you have like this whole like grandiose idea in your head and they're like, no, I mean, we just really like making burritos. So that's why we put, you know, like B U R I in the name or something like that. It just, you know, we just really like burritos like, Oh, cool. All right. On to the next question. So <laughs> it's cool though. I like that. Um, yeah, I mean, give me, give me a little bit more of an idea of, you know, so you're, you're studying like the process I mean, you don't have history in like bottled beverages or like, you know, the CPG world, but you know, give me an idea of like, you know, where, where did you land on like, man, sparkling water is definitely the route that I, that I want to go. I mean, like, did you see like a really good entrance into the market? You know, like what, what was kind of like the, the hook? Well, it was, it, it was very much the gut. I could look at it and see that, that it's very popular. All my friends are drinking it. I'm drinking it like it's going out of style. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about it with my, my dad who runs the bottling business now and, you know, older generation wasn't quite sure about the idea. And, and ultimately I, I just knew that it was the right thing. So I, I took the plunge. Yeah. And, and you actually mentioned something that I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, what, what do you think it is? I mean, cause like, I, I feel like it's probably been like the last, I don't know, three years, maybe a little bit more, maybe even a little bit less. Like what in the world is it that sparkling water just like, I mean, I feel like it just infiltrated the, like the kind of the culinary world as well, but especially just like the public who all, all of a sudden just seemed to find sparkling water to be like, Oh my gosh, or sparkle or mineral water, you know, like, Oh my gosh, like this is the greatest thing. It's like, I remember drinking it back when I was like eight years old and I hated it. Like it did, it was like soda without sugar in it. And like, this is gross. And like my mom, like to this day, she loves drinking sparkling water. And she did even when we were kids, but I feel like it's just kind of, <laughs> it's kind of taken its own. I mean, it's really like attached itself to like, it's, it's a very popular thing right now. So why do you think that is? It, I believe it's, it's a few, it, it's a confluence of factors. It's a few things happening. It's people are moving away from empty calories. They aren't drinking, you know, sugary sodas anymore. They're not giving them to their kids. Uh, and they're culturally, a lot of writers became sparkling water fans and, and started writing about it. Hmm. And I think that contributed to, to the popularity. Um, and, and the same thing could be said in the, in the culinary world. There's, you know, it just started catching on. Yeah. It is really interesting. I mean, I, I feel like it was just like the right, maybe, you know, small spheres of influence that then kind of reverberated into the larger public. And like, I think you, I mean, here in Atlanta, I mean, I, uh, I mean, almost every coffee shop that I go to, like I hang out like all, all the time. I could go to like Spiller Park or either in like Toco Hills or even at Pond City Market. And we live over in the Highlands. So like, you know, being walking distance to however many places I can like, you know, find Montaigne is quite a few. I mean, I, can, I definitely can't count it on two hands, any more hands than that. But 
Um, but it is really cool. I mean, and I, and I just love seeing like people like holding it like in their hands, you know, and like I, I'm a big fan of having um, like sparkling water, you know, next to like a double shot of espresso. Like that's a really great afternoon pick me up. But I found that, you know, having um, and not that this necessarily always goes together for everybody, but like a double shot of espresso or more, maybe three or four, but just depends. But then like either 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 of the flavored versions of Montaigne is actually a really nice it's a nice combination as well. So maybe that's a new one. I don't know if you've heard that one yet, but no, I th- I th- it's sparkling water pairs great with coffee and mm-hmm. espresso and, and mixing it up with flavors, you know, people want variety. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah. yeah and, and so talk me through like some of like the flavor lineup, like of, if, if you've never had Montaigne and you're listening to, to our conversation here, like what's, what's kind of like the, the spectrum of flavors under the Montaigne name right now? Yeah, we have four, four offerings that we have now. We have original, which is unflavored. We've got cucumber lime, lemon honeysuckle, and the newest one is grapefruit peach, mm-hmm. which is the one that we're drinking right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would, I would go up against anyone that feels that these flavors are seasonal. I, I completely disagree. I feel like they transcend the seasons, Hollis. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Yeah, <laughs> it is, but it is really nice. I mean, it's. Uh, I think each flavor is very. Um, you know, crisp and, and really like calculated and just how much flavor there is. I mean, cucumber and lime, like it's not, it's not imbalanced in any way. And then even the, uh, I mean the grapefruit peach, like you really do get both, you get both of those flavors, you know, and like they really come through. So how, how did you, how did you kind of decide on like that, that profile of like the four different offerings of, of Montaigne? Well, I wanted, first off, nothing exotic. I wanted things you could find in the South that are inspired by our awesome culinary scene. So no pamplemousse here or elderberry. <laughs> what in the world? I mean, I wonder if everybody really knows what pamplemousse really is. What's an elderberry? Yeah, exactly. And you can't really pick it out. I think everyone only knows that elderberry is a thing because they shop at Ikea, you know, and then you go to the food court and there's like an elderberry, like something in like the Ikea food court. <laughs> like you don't know what an elderberry looks like. Stop faking it. So yeah, wanted flavors you could find in the South and, and wanted flavors. We, we, all of the flavors are pairs. So we wanted flavors that complemented and balanced each other. Mm -hmm. And from there, it's just kind of brainstorming and then a lot of paneling, getting friends and family in a room and having them all try different versions, going to a coffee shop and asking strangers to try (laughs) try this and you know I have a little grading rubric that I pass out when I do a sampling and have everybody judge the aroma the the flavor you know and and rank them so it's um it's not a very formal process but I do try to gather as much data as possible Mm -hmm. yeah it's important I mean I, I think that there's you know out of four different flavor profiles i mean i think there's something there for everybody i don't know that's my opinion but you know i think it's it's good to to have at least a little bit of a garden variety so yeah and i think people people like to mix it up they some people do have one and that's all they drink but a lot of people will you know week to week they'll change what they're drinking so yeah if someone were to ask me like do you want a montane they don't even have to ask me which flavor would i like like just, would you like a Montaigne? The answer is yes. Like, I don't care which one it is. I'm going to drink it and enjoy it like equal parts. You know, if you broke it up into, you know, like how much love can you really point towards one flavor? Like it's going to be, you know, equal for me. So, 
Um, I love all of your children just the same, Hollis. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I just, I wanted to ask real quick, like how, so when did Montaigne actually start? When did you actually like launch and like you can now drink Montaigne out of a can? Uh, the first production was 561 days ago. Whoa. So I believe that was March, um, May 22nd of last year. Oh yeah. (laughs) Man. So how, how long were you working on like fine tuning recipes and flavors until you got up to that point? So I mean, we're talking May, 2017, obviously. Yep. So how long had it taken you guys to, to kind of like perfect, you know, and then, I mean, obviously getting it, you know, canned, you know, how, how long was that process for you guys? It was, it was pretty fast. It was, it was about eight or nine months. That's it. Wow. That's incredible. We've been talking about it and, and spitballing until, until I finally, you know, got ready to say go. But once I said go, it was, it was, you know, you're spending money on a business that isn't producing any. (laughs) So you're working as fast as possible to get to production. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like having, um, you know, you're, you're paying rent on a, on a building and you're waiting to open a restaurant, you know, you're like, let's get open as fast as we can, because it'd be great to, you know, start seeing some revenue so we can pay for this spot. (laughs) That's a great analogy. (laughs) Yeah. That's a crazy timeline though. I mean like that's, you know, eight or nine months and then launch. And I mean, I, I think you guys have seen pretty explosive growth you know, over, over the past, what'd you say? 500 and some odd days. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Give me an idea. I mean, like from, from when you guys launched, I mean, just May of last year, like how, how much have you seen just like the brand grow? Like, I mean, obviously, I mean, you guys are, you know, um, I think it's, it's really very quickly becoming a staple, you know, throughout culinary circles and just, you know, I mean, I think the the public of people who enjoy sparkling water in Atlanta, um, it's definitely becoming more of like a household name. So it's really cool, man. Great. Yeah. And it's more than I ever would have anticipated before starting all this, all the support from the, the culinary community, people who appreciate local foods and, and, and high quality and healthy foods. I never anticipated this much support from the community. It's, it's very humbling. Yeah. Yeah. How big's the team? You're looking at them. Awesome. Yeah. I love that people ask me how big, you know, the team is at Atlanta Foodcast. I'm like, well, it's, the whole operation fits in this Pelican case right next to me. And, um, so wherever I can find a quiet spot to edit and I record, you know, in people's field offices like this or in their restaurants and it's fun. I should play it up more. You know, you should be like, Oh yeah, it's uh, I mean, I lost count. Yeah. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, but that's crazy. That it's just you though. <laughs> so <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of, a lot of help along the way. Mm-hmm. So, and, and tell me where the, where, where is like Montaigne actually being like produced and then canned? Yep. So I take the spring water from, from the spring, I put it into a tanker truck mm-hmm. and send it to a, a canning line. And that's where the carbonation flavoring and, and, and packaging happens. And it's not far from the spring. Gotcha. So still in Georgia. Mm-hmm. It's like everything's coming from Georgia. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, man. And I, I love that, you know, if, um, yeah, I, I love the way that you're kind of like vetting the, the flavor profiling, I guess, like kind of like before launch. So what, what do you, what, what do you try to do? Like, as you're developing, you know, I, I don't know, I'm assuming that you're like also testing other flavor ideas. We don't have to discuss what those are. We'll, we'll keep all that stuff as a surprise, but you know, like what are like some of the biggest inspirations that you try to draw from as you're developing new flavors? Well, flavors and, and beverages are closely associated with, with 
memories and emotion and nostalgia and and you know coca-cola is the perfect example all of their marketing is you know trying to capture that a feeling and that's what i i keep in mind when i'm deciding on a flavor for example the honeysuckle it used to grow on the fence in our backyard when we were young we would go out and pick it off and taste it and that was one reason that that I chose honeysuckle it also the floral notes worked well with the lemon um, but that's you know it's a lot of bev beverage business is about capturing and conveying fun and feeling mm -hmm. That's a really good point. You know, it's, um, it is something that it does have a little bit of a different side of nostalgia. You know I mean? If you, if you can remember the first time that you went to, you know, Disney world with your family, you know, like you're never going to lose that memory. There's always going to be some sort of nostalgic feeling, you know, towards like, you know, what that time of year was and like, you know, what, what the visit was like and, you know, the, the, the peak memories that you have, but you know, that like the first time that you actually like cracked open a glass bottle of Coke, you know, I remember, you know, Christmas, you know, as we're recording this in December, um, like in our stockings every year, there was like a, the tiny little eight ounce glass bottle of Coca-Cola. And that to me is like, if, if someone were to say like, what's like the pillar memory of Coca-Cola, it gets that every time. You know, it is funny that you do have like some, some pretty serious attribution and like your memories towards beverages you know, a little bit different than everything else. I mean, like meals, like, you know, Thanksgiving, like it's just, it's a little bit more of like a full spectrum of flavors and everything. But, um, yeah, it is really cool. And I feel like there's also a lot of, you know, just cool, cool history. I mean, like almost every, you know, soda that you can drink, like Coca-Cola or cheer wine or, you know, seven up, whatever, they all kind of have like their own individual history. So, yeah. Which, yeah. Which one's your favorite? Soda? Yeah. What do you drink? Growing up, we drank a lot of Coca-Cola in our house, mm -hmm. and about six years ago, I, I cut down on the, the empty calories, mm -hmm. and I, I switched to sparkling water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I would have to agree. I mean, I I think we um, I was at my parents' place not too long ago, and we we saw like some old family photo, just like when we were all together for like the the holidays so like just like photos of like different thanksgiving or christmas and like there's not a bottle of water to be found or a glass of water to be found like everything is a carbonated soft drink of some kind with lots of sugar or you know high fructose corn syrup whatever but like i just like it makes you wonder like when was i drinking water back in the day like the only thing like if it, if it didn't come out of a can and didn't have sugar in it like where were we drinking water it's really funny um, but yeah, man, like, you know, shifting gears here a little bit towards, um, towards wrapping up, like, give me an idea, um, or give everybody listening an idea, like, where can you actually find Montaigne? Like how, how far of a radius do you guys like distribute around Atlanta or even outside of Atlanta? Yep. So right now we have distribution throughout the state We're we're strong in Atlanta and Athens and we have a store locator on our website. You can go find <laughs> find the nearest store to you but the 2019 is pretty exciting we'll be going outside of the state of georgia for the first time wow so we'll have distribution from jackson mississippi all the way to raleigh and down to the panhandle wow. and um we'll be uh 
will be on the shelves of of a of a great retailer that we're excited to work with oh and not announced yet yeah very cool <laughs> well, and i was gonna say like without like you know spilling too much of like kind of what's in the near and immediate future of montaigne like I mean, just like with the with the last like couple of minutes here, like give everybody an idea of like you know what what are you guys like kind of working on like what's next for for Montaigne? Yeah, um, doing what we've been doing here in Georgia throughout the rest of the South is is the next big step. So I'll be on the road a lot next year, mm-hmm. and we're trying to think of the next flavor. Oh, I was gonna say because like I think I think when I first tried Montaigne, so I mean it must have been you know. Shortly after you guys started, you know, sometime last year in the summer for sure. Um, and then I remember, you know, grapefruit peach, like kind of getting a nub. That was the flavor this year for 2018, right? April. Of April. Wow. Golly. So it's really only been around for a little bit longer. So are you guys going to try and do like a new one every year? Um, we'll, we'll see how, how quickly we come out with new ones. It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, a lot goes into the flavor development and the, the packaging is, it's a large commitment. So it's you know we can't have seasonal flavors everything has to be on a longer term horizon yeah well i'm glad keep it that way man we don't need i don't want to see you guys doing like pumpkin spice montaigne or anything like maybe one day who knows but um but man hollis calloway it has been such a pleasure getting to hear your story and um i mean again man it's just really cool to to see such a really great local product not only to to Georgia, but especially just seeing it grow throughout Atlanta. So um, it's just really cool, man. I really enjoyed hearing your story. So thanks for being on the show. Ben, thanks for having me. Yeah. Many thanks go out to Hollis for joining me here on the show. And if you are now in dire need of an ice cold Montaigne for yourself, fear not. Just head over to Public Sun Ponce, uh, maybe a few area Kroger's and a Whole Foods or two, but you know, just be a smart kid and go check out the finder that's on their website at MontaigneSpring.com. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry.